it's a good night. It's a good night. If you've taken notes tonight, I felt like I, I was going to go forward a little bit, and maybe this message isn't long, but I felt like the Lord told me to stay in the Song of Psalms, uh, chapter 2, the first five verses again. Um, and uh, I felt like there was something else that God wanted to bring out. So if you're taking notes, the title of tonight's message is called this, Prepared for Wine. Prepared, that's a slide, Jenna. Prepared for wine. Y'all give Jenna a hand. She's doing, she's doing really good, really good. <laughs> Let's pray. I'm going to pray. Is, is it okay we pray again? We've been praying all night, but I'm, I want to pray again. Lord, just do what you want to do in this message. Let it not be my words. Let it not be my thoughts. Let it not be my opinions. This your truth. Just say what you want to say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Quick recap, or maybe not a recap, but let you know what this book is all about. Two main characters in the Song of Songs, a Shulamite woman and her beloved, a bride and a bridegroom. It's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, and Jesus, the one we are called to be in union with. We are the beloved's precious bride, and he is our beloved. We've been talking about how he wants us to walk in a very intimate relationship with him, a close, familiar walking with Jesus. He is not a distant God. He's a right here, right now God. Amen? Last week, I talked about a message called You Are Preferred, that we are not just any rose or any lily in the field, as the scripture describes, but that we stand out. From all the rest, the scripture said how we, that, that we, we are a, a lily in the field, the rose of Sharon, if you will, the, the, the thing among the thorns that stands out among the thorns and among the thistles. And I didn't get into this much last week. Um, I don't even think I said this last week. But there's something about thorns in the idea that we are the flower or the lily in the field among all of the thorns. Thorns are not just your surroundings of a bunch of lost people. Um, thorns are not just the fact that there's a lot of people around us who don't know who Jesus is. I think that is truth. I believe that we're surrounded by uh, the enemy, if you will. We have many, many, I don't know about you, but I go through warfare all the time. I think thorns are all those things, but also sometimes thorns are conditions that have contributed to you Walking as less than true you. Thorns are conditions that have contributed to you walking in less than true you. And God is calling us out as the rose or the lily in the field rather than seeing you as a thorn. Thorns like you grew up in an abusive atmosphere or maybe you've been in an abusive marriage or maybe... You've been fighting generational curses. Like you've got desires and proclivities that, that just came out of nowhere. Or maybe it's religious paradigms that cause you to settle for less than who he truly is. We're surrounded by all these thorns, if you will, that try to convince us of an identity that is less than the one that he has, that he has died for. I say tonight, do not settle for, their, for the thorn of there's nothing special about me. Don't settle for the conditions that the thorns of your life brought of, well, this is just who I am. The idea that needs to drive you is that you should never settle for less than I stand out before God. That there is something special about me 
is there's a reason he created me. There is something that he needed to get here in the earth. And that special thing is you. You are preferred. And he wants you to believe it. He wants you to accept it. There's a call in your life. Tonight, I want to start in verse 3 again and really draw attention to a few things. In Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 3, it says this. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. This woman, this Shulamite woman, is comparing the beloved to an apple tree. The apple tree isn't the tallest tree. and certainly isn't the widest spread tree. But there was something special about this particular tree in this picture that she chose to say apple. She didn't talk about the cedar trees of Lebanon. She didn't say you're like a cedar tree. Because all those cedar trees are, are, are beautiful and they're, they're used when they're cut down. They're not, they're, there's something different about the apple tree before we even have to touch it. The apple tree brings about fruit as it stands by itself. You don't have to find out what's in the potential of an apple tree. The apple tree produces as it is. And when we start to delight under the shade of the bridegroom, described as a tree in this picture, there's a yielding of fruit that is both profitable and of use when we simply stay in the shade of his presence. There's a sweet taste in staying in his shade. There is something offered to us by simply just being with him. The shade of who he is as the apple tree is a call to stay in close proximity in the presence of God, delighting in the shade of his presence. And when we start to understand there is something special about just being in the presence of God, then we really start to see some things unpacked. I bring up Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 27 and 28. It says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I find it funny that three times in one sentence he drives the point home that we were created in the image of God. So I'm going to drive that point home. You were created in his image. And when you start to believe that there is something wrong with you, then you have forfeited true image. There is, some, there is a certain thing you were created to be. And life is not about necessarily there is something wrong with me. It's there is something less than true me evident, and I want that away so I can walk into my true identity. He created me in his image. And if I exist in an image that's anything less than him, then I have settled for wrong image. So when we start to say things in conversations like, I'm not a people person, I put forth to you that's not true image. Because we were created to dwell with others. But what happens is we use personality traits as image instead of letting personality simply add to or walk into what our image actually is. It says, God blessed them after he said he created them in his image. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. How were we able to govern and reign 
when he made us in the garden. Because we were made in an image that the earth knew. And the image that the earth knew, not only were we created from the ground of the earth, which let me drive that home, we were created of the ground and we were breathed into the vessel that was of the ground. So the earth recognized this vessel walking around because it was of earth. And the thing in the vessel, which is the spirit that God put in you, which now we are either our spirit is saved or not saved, that thing in that vessel, God said, I want you to rule through the vessel. Problem is, the fallen vessel tends to rule us. And we give in to appetites, we give in to lusts, we give in to all these things that cause us to settle for less than true us. If we start to walk in true us, then we understand the whole point of creation and putting us into this body was to govern and rule. Why were they able to govern and rule? They walked in the presence of God and they were like God. When they walk in likeness, they reign over everything. When they started to, when, when they understood they were in the image of God, the very image of God, it was not crazy for them to speak things and rule over things. That was a natural thing. They ruled over everything that they walked over in the earth because they were made in the image of God. And you may be wondering, why am I pointing this out over and over? Because I believe God showed me something in Acts chapter 5 that we've read before, but there's something different in it that we understand if we we understand that we are in image and rule in image. It's this. Acts 5.15, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across them as he went by. Now, I've read that scripture a hundred thousand times about people falling out in the shadow of Peter. But what was it about Peter's shadow? The thing that was special about Peter's shadow was that Peter was redeemed and understood his true identity and no longer settled for false identity of Simon. He understood that the Peter that existed in the earth now was the one that he created to rule way before he even created the earth. He was no longer the man he grew up as. He was the man that was originally formed in the likeness of God. Still having flaws, but he knew who he was. Which caused him to draw near to the very presence of God. It says over and over in Acts, after Peter went out and ministered, he would go back to the place, go back to the meeting, the ecclesia meeting, the church, and get filled up again and again. But this meeting called ecclesia is not meant to be the evangelical tool to save the world. This meeting is meant to be the tool to raise you up into true identity so that you can go show the world who he is, which is true evangelism. He was no longer settling for a less than image. He understood who he was, and therefore, because he understood that he was made in the likeness of God, his shadow was like the very shadow we are called to delight in. And the delight of these people in Acts, they didn't know where to run to. 
All they knew is they were heard people were walking around and people were getting healed. And while the church persecuted them, the lost ran to the shadow. All the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, all the theological majors, they went and said, this ain't right. And everyone who actually saw likeness submitted to likeness. They got in shadow, not even necessarily understanding it was God, but because they were healed in shadow, the moment they were restored to to true self, they were turned toward the God that formed Peter in his likeness. When you delight in the shadow of his presence, you begin to walk in likeness to such a degree that things shift because rulership is recognized. Creation, demons, you name it, see a son of God by where you delight. So when you go through spiritual warfare, the question is, do you delight in the shade of warfare or do you delight in the shade of the Almighty? So much that the thing bringing the warfare doesn't want to stay because it doesn't want to take delight in the God that you are in the shadow of. So when you start to delight in the shadow of God, in the very presence of God over and over, we don't have to have 45 minutes of spiritual warfare prayer because the spirits opposing God don't want to be anywhere around your shadow. So why did they get healed? Because a spirit of infirmity said, "Mm mm-mm. Is this... Delight in his shade and taste the fruit of beloved identity, which brings authority. See, we think of struggle as an indication that you need to repent. Now, repentance is not just changing the way you think. It's not just about forgiveness. But changing the way you think so that you will turn in a different direction. Repentance is not just, I messed up. Repentance is recognized that you fell short somewhere, and then you decide to go in the opposing direction of where that brought you to. In other words, you can't repent of the same thing every Saturday night. Because true repentance means you walk away from that thing. Your turn is evidence you're convinced of your forgiveness. And when you turn back to delighting in the shadow of his presence, other things are not going to want to join you in the direction you're going. But if you keep going in this direction and saying, I repent, I repent, I repent, your ignorance of repentance is where the enemy likes to take delight. problem is, God offers the shade of his presence, but people still try to find shade in other trees. And what God showed me about the apple tree, I want you to think about the apple tree. It says, I'm going to go back to verse 3, like the finest apple tree is my lover among young men. I sit in his delightful shade and I taste his fruit. Think about the apple tree. You don't necessarily have to grab the apple to eventually get the apple. Because at some point, what's going to happen to the apple? That's called patience. 
And what happens is we delight in the presence of God, but when the fruit we want don't fall when we want it, we start going, look at that orange tree. Instead of saying, instead of because you're in the shadow of his presence, a fruit grows that is like God called patience and self-control. And when God knows you need to taste of a specific thing, it drops in a shadow. So we, we can go chase the manifestations of revival. Or we can just start pressing in under the shade of presence we're in right now and let whatever fruit fall, fall. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that fruit. But this is the shade we're living in. Mm. He says, stay in the shade of my presence and you'll eat my fruit, not by way of striving to get it. But it falls from my tree, from my tree in a dwelling of tree, falls from my tree in a dwelling place of shadow. I'm going to hear from that tomorrow. Don't text me tomorrow about tree. <laughs> By the way, what's kind of funny about this whole picture? Isn't it funny how we always put the apple as the identity of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, when the scripture actually never identifies a fruit? Because the enemy has even polluted the picture of the fruit that God uses to illustrate delight. <laughs> See, the enemy can create, but he, the enemy cannot create. So what he does is he pollutes and mimics because he's inferior. Verse 4. As we walk into the presence, delighting in the shade, it says he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. This Shulamite woman looks at her relationship with her beloved and thinks of it as him bringing her to a banquet hall. Banquet hall, literally translated from the ancient text, is translated as brings me into the house of wine. The house of wine is the place where the wine was, gr was grown, produced, stored, and consumed. You see, in this time, wine wasn't preserved in barrels or cellars underground. They were stored in large pitchers, and, they were, and these pitchers full of wine were stored in a place where they kept their most precious things. And the place where they kept these most precious things were in the upper room of the house. So when Jesus was taken up into heaven after his resurrection and time on earth, where did they go? They went to the upper room until the Holy Spirit did what? Pour out. In other words, they were the vessels staying in the place ready to be filled with new wine. God is inviting us to an upper room invitation. He says, I, if you will dwell in the shade of my presence, I will bring you into the house of wine, the dwelling place where wine is kept. Because you are now the vessel that can contain the new wine. We pray God pour it out. But I wonder if we're taking all the time to say, God poured out, God poured out, God poured out, instead of entering into the place called house of wine by simply being postured in presence. 
God, pour out on the church. Pour out on the church. He wants to. But are we going into the house of wine? Or are we still hopping from house to house on the first floor instead of going into the upper room to be ready to be filled? It says, it is obvious how much he loves me. Literally translated, the scripture says, he's waving a banner over this Shulamite woman communicating that I love her. His love for you is demonstrated not only in that Jesus died for you, but that his death and resurrection was an invitation to the house of wine. Because in dying for you, he made you the vessel clean so that you would be ready to receive the wine. <laughs> Matthew nine seventeen, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. The old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Next verse 18. As Jesus was saying this, the, see, we missed this part. The leader of a church, leader of a synagogue, came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. The leader of the synagogue got it. You see, the context of this passage of new wine into, uh, into new wineskin, the disciples of John the Baptist just came up to Jesus and challenged him. See, we forget something very big in Scripture. The disciples of John the Baptist were supposed to lead John the Baptist. They didn't. They stayed with him. When Jesus was revealed, they stayed with him instead of going with Jesus. And here they come, not understanding, and, and they say, hey, why don't your disciples fast like we, like we fast with John the Baptist? Hey, Jesus, like, we, we, we know that like, you, know, you, know, you know John and all that, but why is it that y'all don't fast like we fast? And Jesus responded, he said, because why would you fast for something that's already here? which says that the disciples of John the Baptist missed it. <clears throat> they, they didn't get it. He says, there's no need to fast. I'm here. There will be a time to fast when I go. So in the context of showing them this truth, when he says, I want to put new, I want to put new wine in new wineskin, he says, when I leave, I can only pour out into what's ready for me. And the way to be ready is to embrace a new identity wineskin that you're worthy for the house of wine. Religion still tries to fill you up with yesterday's wine. Relationship postures you for the new. And in a moment, this leader of a synagogue, who most of them thought that Jesus was false, says, oh, I'm not going to accept this old wineskin that says my daughter is dead. Pour it out. So in Matthew 9, 23, it says, when Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd, and he heard funeral music. Get out, 
He told them, this girl isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. Do you understand where the crowd was? They were still in old wineskin. You know what old wineskin is? You accept death as natural. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes there's a time to die. But who says everyone dies in their time? After the crowd was put outside, Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of the miracle swept through the entire countryside. What happened? Jesus brought a new wineskin into a room that was ready to receive a wine called healing. Wine, the blessings that God promises to a people. Wine, Holy Spirit and blessings with Holy Spirit. Why do Christians still not believe that spiritual gifts are at work? It's not because they're not saved. It isn't because they don't know Jesus as much as you. It's because they just haven't prepared for that wineskin. So stop judging that. Because there's a lot of wineskin that the the Spirit-filled church still don't get right. Why do believers think that we shouldn't reign, that we're just out of luck until Jesus returns? They haven't prepared for that wine. Why do we still think that church services have to be once a week? Because we haven't prepared for that wine. On the other side of that, why do we think that church church services have to be every week? Because we haven't prepared for that wine. I mean, what if the new wine was meet once a month and worship for eight hours instead of two hours every week? Why do, why do we still think that church services have to be under an hour or two? Because we're not preparing for that wine. And he said, I'm not going to pour out that wine until this wine skin's prepared. So why are we seeing revival break out? Because in a moment, you can be made into new wine skin. In a moment, in John 2, Jesus filled jars with water, and the water became wine. Because it only takes for a a moment for a vessel to be ready to contain whatever he wants to pour out. The question is, are you prepared for him to pour it out? Well, pour out what, Kyle? Whatever. Verse 5, the Song of Songs, it says, Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples. I'm weak with love. Raising cakes, literally translated, means goblet of wine. And the Shulamite woman says it as she learned to dwell in the shadow of his presence, like the shadow of that apple tree where fruit falls. King David, when he was celebrating the ark coming in to, to, to the city, containing the glory and presence of God coming into Jerusalem, he gave the whole nation raisin cakes. It was a celebration of the presence of God as if offering up as a goblet of wine. You need to understand, God has wine to pour out. 
Blessings under the leading of the Holy Spirit to equip you for your calling and your predestined purpose. He wants to pour it out. He wants to pour out whatever you need to accomplish your predestined purpose. He wants to pour. And, and we think we can't accomplish our purpose until we get it. But I say you can't get what you need until you actually believe that you are under the shade of his tree. Ready to contain whatever wine it is. And what happens in the human condition is we say, well, I feel called to be a preacher, but I'm not a preacher. If you really feel the call of God to start preaching and you're not a preacher, start preaching. Because until you do, you have not embraced a new wineskin. Because your new wineskin is preacher, even though you may be horrible. But if you will embrace a new wineskin and start walking, then the wine can be poured. My first message, I was supposed to, 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 to do a 25-minute message with 60 teenagers, and I did a 25-minute message in 3 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> and now I can't keep it under an hour. But in that moment, someone saw something in me that I, did, that I rejected for a while. And when I finally embraced that wineskin, it was like a gift just... And there's so, I, I don't know, I'm feeling this strong. You feel like there's a call in your life. Stop waiting for the wine and get prepared for the wine. Just start walking in the new wineskin instead of telling yourself that you're not there yet. You are there. You know why you're there? Because you're seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Are you dwelling in a place where you're prepared for it? Or do you still dwell in yesterday? Do you still dwell in a dream? God doesn't give dreams for you to dwell in the waiting of them to come to pass. He gives you dreams so you know how to prepare for the dream coming. But what happens is when we get dreams, like, like, like destiny dreams, like, okay, God wants to do this one day. We wait. All right, God, when are you going to do it? And if I may be honest, that's why the church is full of people older in age who've been praying for the same thing for years and never seen it because someone never told them the most freeing statement in the world, that you don't wait for it to come, you start walking in it as new wineskin. And I feel like there's a lot of people under the sound of my voice, and there's many people under the sound of my voice in this house that are not here tonight, and I want you to hear this loud. The waiting game's over. Start embracing your new wineskin because you cannot ever get ready, but he has readied you. How do we prepare the best to walk into your purpose? God, as I delight in your shadow and you lead me into your house of wine, I commit to you that the only thing I need is the wine that strengthens me. I don't need to get better at a talent. I just need to start walking in the wineskin. Well, how do I know I'm called to do it? Get lost in his presence. I promise you, God don't shut up when you get lost in his presence. That's a good thing, by the way. And when you realize that God is preparing you for that wine, you begin to accept the truth of operating in a new, beloved identity. And when you accept who you truly are, people start to take notice of that wine. When God poured out the Holy Spirit in the upper room, everyone took notice. And you know what they said? They drunk. (laughs) Another way to say it, they thought they were drunk because they saw a house of wine 
filling up with wine. And as they came to them and said, what y'all drinking? Peter starts off his first sermon. And he says it well, to this crowd. And he says it in verse 14, Peter, Acts 2, 14. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people ain't drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. Mm. Verse 16. No, no, no. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel in the last days. Can I just give you a study tip? You want to understand the Old Testament? Find it in New. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all, all, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. When you embrace the Jesus, that Jesus did not just save you from death, but that he redeemed you into a new wineskin, you embrace redemption as a bride being escorted back to the winehouse. This woman being escorted was being escorted to the banquet table. She was being escorted to the winehouse. And you know what it means to be escorted? She was in relationship with the bridegroom. So you become ready as a new wineskin, redeemed, prepared, perfect, spotless righteousness. And when you accept the fact that you are all those things, you're ready for new wine. This Shulamite woman says, strengthen me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples. I'm weak with love. I am weak with love. She's feeling weak and disoriented because of her attraction and infatuation where some will look on and say, drunk. It still happens in the church. Charismatic expressions are always looked at as weird. Right? Why do we scoff at that? If it looks drunk to them, cool. I don't want to look normal. I was, when we were having the pre-service prayer, one thing that the Lord had me say was, if we were coming together tonight and worship, let's worship as if it was the last chance we ever had. I guarantee you the conversations of hands up or hands down wouldn't happen anymore. Right. <laughs> when will we be a people who are willing to look drunk with wine but with a different kind of wine. You see, the thing about this term, I am weak with love, it was twofold. It's not just he had an attraction and infatuation, but there was also this attachment of I'm weak with love. I don't want to embrace a reality outside of this tie. Prepared for wine is I am so wrapped up in the intimacy with God that I do not want to experience any reality outside dwelling in that shadow that leads me to the wine house. I want to dwell there. I want to posture my life in such a way where I am becoming something prepared for something new that this world has never seen. What do you think Jesus meant when he says, if I could show you everything I did, there wouldn't be enough pages to contain it, yet we limit the miraculous to what's on the page. 
I want to walk in a new wineskin to such a degree that the wine that pours out, people call me false because it ain't in the Bible. And you know how it's of God? It lines up with his character, his nature, and his traits, and nothing less. You see, the plumb line is the word of God. Everything has to be measured by it. But we have to be in such relationship that whatever's measured by it, we may not read about blatantly in that word. Because the word is not the page. The word is Jesus. The word became flesh. And that's a hard concept for a lot of people to, to, to ingest. Because when they hear me say that, they'll automatically think, okay, he's preaching that things that exist outside the word of God. No, I want to walk in things that exist from he who is the word of God. Yeah. Fathers, husbands, are you leading your families into the wine house, into the house of wine, so that your family is ready for whatever it is to be poured out? Or are you walking in an identity that looks nothing like the shadow presence of God? You know, we, we want new things over our households, and I want to put something forth toward the men. Escort your house into the banquet hall. Escort your house into the house of wine. How do I do that? Get lost in the shade of his presence. Prepared for wine. I'm wrapped up in the intimacy with God. And I don't want to experience anything outside of that shade. It's this cry. I want to be prepared for wine. I'm actually already toward the end, if that's, if it, if that's okay. Shorter message tonight. But I really, I really felt like the Lord said we need to understand that we have to be prepared as a new wineskin, ready for the wine. You see, as he's leading this Shulamite woman into this identity, into this, this, this place of the house of wine, this new wine, he's, there's something said in verse 6 that I think is just incredible. She says, his left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. It's a picture of union. The picture is literally they're wrapped up with each other in the marriage bed. And if we look at it at first glance, that's all we're going to see. But there's such significance to these words of being wrapped up in the, the left arm under the head and the right arm embracing me. There is something to, be, to being prepared as the new wineskin to receive wine. You see, it says his left arm cradled the bride's head. The Hebrew word here for left, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, is small, S-M-O-W-L, meaning dark as in mystery. The left arm symbolizing mystery was holding the thing, the head. Let your head and your mind and the thing that guides you be held in the mysteries of his way that are only revealed through intimate relationship. Where you trust his leading even when it does not make sense. I haven't said this yet, but I, I, I really have been taking a lot of time lately to just be held in mystery in the left arm of God. And one thing that I keep hearing over and over is start offering random, like, two-hour warning, we're going to come together and pray. I don't know why. 
I don't know when. But I feel like the Lord started saying, start having spontaneous meetings of the church gathering together. Well, why, Kyle? I don't know. And you know where I've realized I'm growing? I'm at a place where I don't need to know. And I want to encourage you. There's so many times that God puts little nuggets in your mind and you try to reason them out. I put forth to you, don't reason things that are wrapped in mystery. You don't have to understand it. The understanding will come when you start to see that fruit fall. Because you're just delighting in a shadow. You're not trying to strive for it. We're not trying to make anything happen. I want to be wrapped in mystery. His right arm wrapped around. The right arm is the place of honor and authority. This woman recognized something that in the, in the embrace of her beloved, in the embrace of God and understanding your beloved identity, not only are we seated with Jesus at the right hand, we're seated with him in heavenly places. We dwell in the shadow of his presence and we're led to a house of wine. He pours out his wine because we're in a relationship where we trust the mystery of his left hand while understanding we're walking in the authority by his right. In other words, you need to understand walking in the shadow of the Almighty. It's like this. I want to be at a place in my life where I am simply delighting in being in the presence of God. And as I am in his presence, I understand two things. And the first thing I need to understand is I walk under his covering, which is authority. So when I walk into a room, when you start to embrace that new wineskin that you are redeemed, that you are good, then you no longer have to, I'm going to put, can I push the boundaries? I no longer have to pray a prayer of protection because I know I am protected. Can we get out of that religious stronghold a little bit? I don't have to pray protection over me because I am walking in. Because walking in the shade of his authority, when I walk into a room, demons flee and tremble because demons don't see me. And if you doubt that for a moment, I say, don't try to get it all right, just get lost in shade. And that... <laughs> And, and as I'm walking in this authority, convinced that I am my beloved and my beloved's mine, then when mystery comes and God says to walk and do things that do not understand, I don't even give it a second thought. That's my prayer for the people of this house. That we understand something that we take very lightly. We are the bride of Christ. And literally nothing's impossible. Not just that the sick get healed, but that demons flee and tremble. That prodigals return home. That's probably the biggest prayer right now among the church. Bring them home. Bring them home. I'll share a little personal anecdote. I finally went and saw a movie called Jesus Revolution. Some of y'all seen it. And you know, I'm the type of type of man that says I'm not, I don't cry at movies. And I, and I don't cry at most of them. And you give me a chick flick and I'm done. 
But I was, I was watching this movie, and if you don't know the movie, it's, it's about a movement that happened with Chuck Smith and a lot of other guys in the Jesus movement. And I just broke down at one part. Chuck Smith was leading a congregation that had a lot of seats, but only a few. I'm going to call them Sadducees and Pharisees. These people were sitting in the church, and they had their idea of what the presence of God looked like. They had their idea of what things were going on. And, and his daughter comes up to him one day because she didn't want to go to that church. And she says, some, something along, along the lines of uh, he was rebuking all these hippies. And she said, yeah, that rebuke is why your church is empty. And he said, yeah, well, you bring me a hippie and I'll talk to him. Until that happens, I ain't talking. Next day she's driving and this hippie's walking with a jacket that talks about how much he loves Jesus. If you, so she brings this hippie-loving Jesus guy into her dad's house. And at the end of the conversation, he's, okay, I need to bring these people in my church. And the next scene, they're in his church, and you got half, you know, all the religious folk are sitting on the left side of the pews, and you got all these hippies sitting on the right side, and they have all this stuff back and forth. And then they have a very normal talk in the religious circles. They take him back to his office and say, you know, we pay the tithes of this church, and we don't want those dirty hippie feet messing up our carpet. And this is where I started crying. The very next scene, these religious people drive up and they see this line of hundreds of, of hippie young adults lined up at the door. And, and when the religious guy looks at the door, the pastor is on his knees washing their feet as they walk into the sanctuary. And I, I think there's something to that. When we start to understand that the greatest posture is washing the feet of those we are in spheres of influence with, that's when we really start to understand that we are the vessels prepared for the pouring out of wine. Because we're no longer caught up in how we want to do it. We're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to get lost in an intimacy that could even change our expression. I think the most powerful thing about that movie is that, and, and the truth of what happened back then, was that thousands upon thousands were reached because someone dared to look different, which was actually his intended wineskin. And when they embraced it, God just said, We all want breakthrough. We all want deliverance. We all want the things of God. But if we would just understand that he's inviting you to the wine house, we will stop seeking breakthrough and deliverance and start letting breakthrough just... Because we're not trying to seek the manifestations of God. We're just seeking to sit and delight in the shade of his presence. And he says, here, here, here. I think one of the most freeing things I could ever tell the people of God, including myself, which is big for me to say this. You know, we don't have to understand all the nuances of scripture to get God. He just wants us to get lost in the fact that he loves us. When we get lost in that, embrace that we are meant for more. Embrace that you are as clean as you're ever going to be if you would just start believing it. 
the fruit of his dwelling will start to fall to a place where it's uncontainable and uncontrollable. And that wine, as it's poured out into this vessel called his bride, will pour out into every area of our life and people would run to the presence of God. You know, the fact of the matter is that this world is it's very messed up. It's turning upside down. It's all those things. But here's the, here's, the, here's the place where I'm starting to realize something. All the people that are confused and all the people that are lost, they are united in one thing. They're looking for something. And if we would get lost and looking like him, they would find the thing they're looking for. So let's get lost and let's get prepared for wine. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Come on, let's, let's just give him, yeah, God, you are so good. You are so good, God. Tonight, we prepare ourselves, God. We say we want to receive whatever you have, not for our glory, but for yours, God. Tear down every stronghold in our mind. Tear down every religious mindset that tries to bind us. God, we want whatever. Can someone just shout whatever? Whatever. God, we just want whatever it is so that you would get all glory and all honor. We love you, Jesus.